0: All right. Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Glad you're here and worshiping with us. Glad you've been able to carve out a little bit of time. We kicked off uh, this series that we're in looking at spiritual disciplines a number of weeks ago. We're, we're calling it Spaces and Rhythms, Making Room for the Divine, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. Uh, several weeks ago, we talked about the importance of the study of the Word of God, and then we looked at uh, prayer and, uh, and the importance of, of what that kind of looks like this morning. We're diving into uh, confession, and I have to confess uh, to you this morning that I'm a little bit sick to my stomach uh, and not feeling all that well. It has to do with the shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, if, if you're not a football fan, this is a, a Green Bay Packers jersey, and this will teach you not to make bets in church. Uh, and so I was the, the losing benefactor of, of this bet with Tara. And uh, instead of her giving me grace and wiping my debt clean, uh, she made me pay up. Uh, and so I'm wearing this. I'm going to try my hardest to focus on God. Uh, I re- receive your prayers for me, but this is one of the worst days of my life. Um, and I even had, where's Ed? Ed even came up and was like, Ed's brand new. Clark, uh, Clark's friend, Clark, brought him. And, he, and before I could explain myself, he's like, I don't know if I can be here because I'm a Bears fan. And I'm like, so am I. Do not judge me. So, Terry, you almost made someone leave church um, because of the Packers, and it wouldn't be the first time. Um, so, uh, so so many of you, like Bill and Bonnie Lou, have been gracious with the Packers winning. Uh, Bonnie Lou might as well have been stepping on my throat. Um, and so we might do a series on grace coming up, and you'll understand why. Um, Nevertheless, I lost, and I'm a man of my word, so I wear it. Uh, I don't wear it proudly, but I wear it. So, (sighs) confession. So, we're dealing with confession. I want to confess to you, um, all kidding aside, this is not easy. Uh, And it's going to be something that's going to make you uneasy. It's going to be something that's going to cause you to either accept it or reject it. Uh, You're not going to be in a middle ground uh, with this message. And so I just want to give that preface to you. There's incredible life in what God has to say to us this morning, but it's really going to land on you on what do you do with it. Um, Many of us find ourselves confessing to God uh, the same sin and wondering why we find ourselves right back where we started. Uh, Maybe it's been a day, maybe it's been a week, maybe it's been several years where we've brought that sin before God, and then boom, we're right back where we started, and we can't overcome it, and we're kind of starting to wonder why. Maybe that's you this morning if you're here or if you're watching online. Maybe you've kind of been wondering that a little bit, and I want you to know you're not alone Sometimes we feel trapped. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, uh, let me kick this off. Open up to Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 10, verse 15. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Um, sometimes we feel, when we read a Scripture passage, when we read it, we go, oh my gosh, that is exactly me. And Romans chapter 7, verse 15 is, is kind of one of those verses. This is what it says, For what am I doing? I do not understand. In fact, the New Living Translation says it this way. I don't really understand myself. I don't get it. I don't understand myself. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the exact very thing that I hate. I wonder if you've been there. I wonder if you've been there in a conversation with your spouse or with your kids or in the workplace or, or maybe uh, in, in the privacy of being alone and, and you're doing the exact thing. Thing that you hate and that you vowed you would never do. I will never raise my voice again to my kids. I'll never yell at them. I'll never say a cutting word. I'll I'll never give the silent treatment. I will I will never look at that site online. I'll never I'll never I'll never. And then boom, we find ourselves right back in that place again. But First John chapter one verse nine assures us that if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. But you know this, merely confessing doesn't bring you victory. Because it's fairly easy to confess. It's like I've got three boys, and so on a regular basis, these three young boys are having to say sorry to each other for something. 90% 90% of the time, they don't mean they're sorry. They're saying it. Eventually, they will grow into uh, the, the idea of having a contrite heart and, and really feeling sorrowful, but it's, it's easy to confess. And so what do we do with confession? What are we missing? What helps us get out of this cycle when we're doing the exact thing we don't want to do? Because I think this, and maybe this is my optimistic side or, or me trying to look at humanity with a glass half full, I think most of us, at least in this room and for most of the people that you're friends with and rub shoulders, most of us want to get better. Most of us don't want to do the things that are destructive. You're not malicious people. You have a sinful heart, you do things that are not of God, but but I think there's a genuine goodness in God in you. And so how do we get out of this cycle? What's the missing link in genuine confession and repentance? There's a chapter of an incredible book called The Life Together. Uh, it's written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer is, is one of my absolute favorite authors and theologians and pastors and seminary professors. He writes this in uh, chapter 5 of his book, Life Together, that I finished uh, this last year. He said, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. But it is the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand, that confronts us with the truth and says, You are a sinner, a great, desperate sinner. And now come as the sinner you are to the God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you. He wants you alone. I just want to make that personal to you. If you, if you have a, a gnarly sin, if you've got kind of a basic sin, whatever, whatever you describe and, and you're feeling guilt and shame, I just want to encourage you that the message of God is, please just just come to me. Let's spend some time together let's work through this. It's, it's not a God of condemnation. It's not a God of anger. It's not a God of a wrath. It's not a God of a pointing finger or a shaking fist. It's, it's a God who says, I just want you to come to me. I, I'm sure that most of us would agree with Bonhoeffer that confession of sin is a vital component of our relationship with Him. And for a lot of us, if, if whether we're in church or, or a chapel setting or, or we go to a conference or a worship concert, and they have a time of, of silent community confession, like we did this morning for our prayer time at 9.15, where Alicia led us, and it was just a silent time for us to confess in. For a lot of us, that's kind of easy because it's just between us and God. But I think you'd also agree that the bar is raised a little bit than when we have to confess or we're told to confess in smaller settings, either one-on-one or even a small group setting. For a lot of us, we begin to shake. Our, our hands begin to sweat. And, and what, what happens in those settings is oftentimes we settle for much less indicting statements. We settle for sins that we're going to confess to another that are, are pretty benign, right? I'm too busy. I just want to confess that to you. Or, or, or I'm just running a rat race. I just want to confess that sin to you. We think of things that if I share with someone else, they're not going to begin to think things of me and my life. And we become vague and impotent and, and, and fill our, our kind of prayer request and our sharing with non-confessions. That's the church. That's kind of what we've become in the Protestant church. And we're not fulfilling the command of James chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, this is the verse that Alicia brought us this morning for our prayer time. Confess your sins to one another... And pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, we don't have the extreme time to unpack this uh, a whole lot further. But there is a correlation to uh, expressing and confessing sins to one another within the church setting, within a healthy setting, and the healing of the body. Does that mean that you are sick or you're in pain because you have sinned? No, that is not what I'm saying. But there is power in confession. There's power in confession to each other. There's power in confession before God. And so the question is, what is real confession? Uh, again, in the Protestant church, sometimes you'll, you'll get it a little bit more in the Anglican church, but in the Protestant church, we've kind of just given the Heisman move to, to confession to another. And we say, well, my relationship is with God. It's no one else's business. It's just between me and God, and, and everyone else can just stay out of it. And I just want to expose what that is. That is the God of me. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting it is so prevalent in our culture. It says, you won't tell me what to do. And and what I struggle with and what's going on in my life is my business. It's not yours. And nowhere do we see that in Scripture. We just see it in culture. And so to answer the question is, what is real confession? We have to answer what's real repentance, and so I want to read this to you. Repentance is heartfelt mourning for sin followed by a sincere pledge to leave it and walk in obedience to Christ. I want to read this again. You you might be going, well, what is discipleship? What, what does this mean to follow Christ? I want to help you understand what is repentance. This is in its core what it is. Repentance is a heartfelt mourning for your sin followed by a sincere pledge before God to walk in obedience to Christ. What it means is literally, as I'm walking, I stop, I realize this hurts you, God, I change my my direction, I pivot, and I begin to walk in a different direction. Where we tend to stop is right here. I'm sorry, God. I won't do it again. And we stay here. And so that's what we're looking at this morning is this idea of repentance and confession. Because confession and repentance is not just merely feeling remorse or guilt. If that's where we end, a couple of things that are so dangerous in that. One, we begin to view God as one who gives remorse and guilt and leaves us there. But even worse than that, if we stay there, we're never doing the idea of repentance, which is pivoting and turning and going in different direction. And so often as parents, we're so focused on the behavior of don't do this. And yet when we correlate that to God, the idea is tell me about the condition of your heart and let's together begin walking in a different direction. It includes a recognition that sin is against the Almighty God and is completely wrong. We don't justify it. We acknowledge it for what it is. And when we truly acknowledge it for what it is, and we repent, the result, the Bible says, is a changed life. If you look in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7, it says that when we renounce our former ways, we return to the Lord. You see, confession is not just acknowledging that what I'm doing is wrong. Confession and repentance is returning to the Lord. And that's the hard part. To confess is fairly easy. To repent is difficult. Confession means agreeing with God that what we did was wrong. Notice it's not justifying. And we are really good at a couple of things. One of them is justifying. If if you want to see where it starts, go work in base camp for a few Sundays. That's the training ground of justification. When a kid is called on the table for their actions or their words or their attitudes or something they've done, they immediately, they justify it, usually because it's someone else's fault. And guess what happens? We get older, we get less hair, we exercise less, and we do the exact same things as the kids. We justify, because that's in our being. But that alone, this idea of confessing that what we did was wrong is not gonna keep us from repeating it. That's something that has to be trained with, and that's been this whole series is that we have to keep training. We have to work our bodies to a place where this makes sense to us, and it's a regular habit. Because confession is, Not only to God or to another, but just confessing that you've done something wrong in life is an anomaly. It doesn't happen. But we are called to live a sanctified life, one that is set apart for God and His purposes. Confession and repentance are important parts of sanctification. Now, sanctification is is kind of a huge theological word. It's a churchy word. So if you're new to church, you're like, okay, help me understand that. All sanctification is, is merely the process of being made holy. In your relationship with Christ, being made more like Him. Becoming a better version of you. We say this all the time. I hope that there is a better version of you this time next year than there is today. Because if you are the same next year, you think the same, you speak the same, you act the same, you have the same attitudes that are the same, something's wrong. Because Philippians says he began a good work in you. He's changing you. He's making you more like Him. And so that points to the idea that there's a a continuum of growth, and and albeit choppy along the way with life circumstances and what goes on. But when you're part of a church, when you're following Jesus, this idea of sanctified life, this walking in obedience is, is what we're shooting for. But if we look at 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 through 9 we realize that there's this idea of deception in our hearts. And here's what it says. If we claim to be without sin in other words if we justify ourselves we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's why we're told to confess our sins to God. Christ not only forgives us, if, if all we do is go before Christ to receive forgiveness, listen, what I'm about to say is, is not wrong, but it's going to sound wrong. If all we do is go before Christ to receive forgiveness and not the help to live differently, we've missed it. Jesus is not a judge. Jesus is a savior. He's a father, He's a counselor, He's a friend. He's our king. But we don't go constantly and just say, sorry, sorry, sorry. Again, we've been doing this the past few weeks. Think about your spouse. If all you did was say sorry for what you do wrong and not give any kind of like Josh and Grace Valdez mushy-gushiness to them, like we're going to miss something. If there's no interaction other than I'm sorry, what kind of contractual relationship are we building? Jesus doesn't want you just to come to Him nonstop with I'm sorry's. He wants you to come to Him. And that's why we're told if we confess our sins to God, He helps make our lives different. He helps us put away sin and then turn back to Him in obedience. He is the one that does that. We can come before Him if God uh, puts it on our heart to confess, but He is the one that then turns us in a different direction which is why we can't be so focused on the action. God is the one that brings that action. God is the one that creates this repentant heart. And so we have to create spaces in our days and get into a rhythm where we are regularly coming before God and saying, here are my transgressions. Here is where I have sinned against you. And I'm not talking a general one where you go, hey God, please forgive me for my sins and God bless my kids as they go to... I'm talking you name them. Because what we've done is we've taken under under the umbrella of grace and mercy and we've gone, well, because of grace, because of the cross, I don't really have to give all my sins to Jesus. Well, tell me where that is in the Scriptures. When was the last time you made a list of your sins and recited them out loud before God? Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, you are made clean. Yes, you are given life on the cross. But I'd be willing to bet between yesterday and this morning, you've sinned. Now, let's not take it to the extreme where you say, okay, well, what if I forget one? Am I not forgiven of that sin? You guys ever heard of spirit of the law and letter of the law? Because of the new covenant, we don't live by the letter of the law. We live by the spirit of the law, and that is we have a relationship, so use that relationship. Develop and strengthen and mature that relationship. So that's between us and God, but we still need to address the importance of what Scripture says, that we have to confess sins to one another. This is where it doesn't get very fun. Because I might be able to help you understand in the quietness of your bedroom, in the car, on a walk, all by yourself, pour out your heart to God, and you're like, okay, maybe I can wrap my mind around that. But Scripture says, confess your sins to one another. And Probably some of you are, are getting sweaty hands right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 tells us that the church was a group of people who were in a state of being saved. That doesn't mean we are saved. That, that doesn't mean that we are perfect. It's we are being saved. It's this time continuum, this work that, that God is doing in your life. We don't huddle here as the perfect saved ones. We don't come to church as the ones who have figured it all out. We don't come to church and sit in these rows as the ones with all of the answers for the world. They would just listen to us. They could just get it right because we have gotten it right. That is not why we gather. We gather as sinners being saved by Jesus. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we remember that we're sinners. We remember that the only reason there is a table is because we're sinners. And so we don't we don't we don't tell the world that that we're the perfect ones. We are in a state of being saved. And we're saved because we realize our need for forgiveness and we're clinging desperately to the cross of Christ. You remember having little kids and, and they, they sit down on your foot and wrap their legs and arms around you and, and you walk with like cement blocks on your feet? That's the idea of clinging to the cross. That's the idea of your sin needing to be forgiven, is holding on to that daddy's foot. And not letting go. And when the dad shakes, the kid holds on. It's like a ride at Disneyland. And then when you want to really get them off, you go into a door frame or something. <laughs> I don't do that, but Mark told me he did that with his kid. So I'm just saying it's a way to get them off. It hurt, huh, Ethan? <laughs> and so this idea of clinging. When was the last time you you clung to God because your sin was at the forefront of your mind on how bad it was? Or are you like the Pharisees that water down their sin and then eventually it just becomes super shallow and not that big a deal? The Bible says if we don't confess our sins, we become self-righteous. That's dangerous. Because Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 18 tell us that the self-righteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That the self-righteous are on the wrong path. That if we think highly of ourselves, we're not going in the right direction. And so the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, we're going to read this. If you want to open your Bibles, you can. It's also going to be on the screen. Here's what the Apostle John wrote. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 8, if you're following along at home, through chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, if we say we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we what? we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a what? A liar. Do you want to call God a liar? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be standing anywhere near you when you call God a liar. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. These are hard words, you guys. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You have an advocate. I used to, as a police officer, I, w- I would go to countless domestic violence most of the time, the overwhelming majority of the time, where a woman was beaten, sometimes without even recognition. And I would beg her, you have an advocate. I am your advocate. There's an entire advocate arm of the justice system. We will help you. You have an advocate. There is someone for you. We will provide you resources. We will protect you. We will lift you up. And do you know how many times... Women specifically rejected the advocate 95% of the time. And we go back into the abusive relationship. You're the victim of an abusive relationship, his name is Satan. And he will abuse you and abuse you and abuse you. And Scripture says, but you have an advocate. And this advocate is not of this world. Now, I'm saying that someone in this room or watching online, you, you you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I get it. I can confess, but that doesn't mean I have to confess to another person. Why give my sin when it's between me and God? I, no, it's no one else's business. Why can't I just say, God, be merciful. I'm a sinner. And, and I want to make sure you hear this. Yes absolutely, 100%, you need to be doing that. We just talked about it. The incredible need for you to go before the God of all creation, who is endless in mercy and and bountiful in love, and confess your sin before him. Yes, you absolutely need to. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I want to confess my sins privately to God because I want others to think that I'm better than I really am? Do I not want to confess my sin to my friend or my spouse or my pastor or my small group leader or my life group leader or my youth pastor because then they will see that I'm not as good as I've made myself out to be? We often say no one needs to know my sin except for God. Because if we keep everyone else in the dark, then they won't really know. Bonhoeffer adds this in his book. He said, Sin demands to have a man by himself. I want you to think about that for a second. Man and woman. Sin demands to have a person by themselves, it withdraws him from the community. And the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous his isolation is. Sin wants to remain unknown. You want to know the tactic of the enemy? The best way to be a soldier is to know... The tactics and the strategies of your enemy. You want to know your enemy's tactics? Keep your sin to yourself. Stay by yourself. Don't pour into community. Don't build in relationships. Don't expose your heart. Don't expose what you're bad at or your sin or the most disgusting skeletons in your closet. Keep that to yourself. And that's his strategy. And he is dang good at it. And if we're not careful, this can easily contribute to a cycle of hypocrisy and self-righteousness, not only in ourselves, but friends, it can seep into our church. And so it's critical to take the next step in our growth as followers of Jesus. And so real quickly, I want to go through what, why do we avoid confessing to one another? These aren't rocket science. In fact, you'll think that I know you really well because you think these things. But nevertheless, let's go through them. Number one, what will they think? We fear what people will think of us if, if they really were to know our sins. Our secret actions, our, our secret thoughts, our, our secret attitudes, our, our wandering eyes, our dependence on everything but God, what will they think? They're not going to like me anymore. They're gonna, they, they won't respect me anymore. They'll, they'll not want me in their small group or they won't want me around their kids because if they really know my sin, what are they going to think? Statistically, bless you, 5% of the church confesses sin to one another. And we wonder, what are we missing? They'll, they won't respect me. They're going to watch my ever move, and, and they'll probably tell someone else. And so we fear. And Number two, we really don't want accountability. We really don't want it. We don't want someone to meddle in our lives. If you're part of a church family, you give up the right not to have someone meddle in your life. If you don't want someone to meddle in your life, go to the PTA, go join the, an automobile club, or, or go play golf. But when you're part of a church family, you give up your right to have someone not meddle in your life. Because again, the culture, we buy it, we drink the Kool-Aid. I I am not going to have someone tell me what to do. I am not going to have someone, doggone it, I am 45 years old. Some of you are older than me, but you were 45 years old. You waited till you could be 45 to where you could say, no one's going to tell me what to do. You kids are waiting. You you students are waiting. Oh, doggone it, once I'm in my 20s, no one's going to tell me what to do because I'm an adult. And so we really don't want accountability. And finally, we want to hold on. Meaning this, I don't know if I want to relinquish my sin. I kind of like it. I kind of like what I do. If I'm honest, I know it's not right, but I like it. It's become my foundation. It's become my identity. It's become my source of pleasure. It's become who I am. So I don't know if I'm willing to let someone call me on that. We, we dealt with this when we dealt with racism and abortion and all these other hot topics. And, and countless of you told me, I don't know if I'm ready to even let that be loose. My judgmental heart, my stubbornness, my pigheadedness, my dependence on money. I I could go on and on and on. I don't know if I'm ready to let this go. I feel bad because it's sin, and and my theology tells me that sin is bad, and it put Jesus on the cross, and and I'm kind of sorry for that. But really, my actions show I'm not sorry for that because I don't want to let that go. I'm going to hold on. But for Christians, confession of sin ultimately is the application of the gospel. You want to know what what confession is? It's taking the gospel and saying, I'm going to live this out. Authentic confession of sin is a combination of humble remorse before God, receiving the grace of reconciliation, and heartfelt thankfulness for the satisfaction that has been accomplished in the cross of Christ. I want you to take a picture of this if you have your phones. Because I want you to think about this this week. Go ahead, pull out your phones. I know you got them. Unless you got a flip phone, but. Authentic confession of sin is a combination of humble remorse before God, receiving the grace of reconciliation, and a heartfelt thankfulness for the satisfaction that has been accomplished in the cross of Christ. Confession is a monumental part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's why Bonhoeffer says confession is discipleship, and discipleship is confession. And in confession, in instead of viewing it as this depressing thing that again we have to go before the God of all creation, did you know that confession is one of our greatest acts of worship? Confession is a highlight video for the gospel. Confession says you did it. Confession says you died but you rose again. Confession says you beat death. And we celebrate the victory over it. It is fitting, writes John Calvin, that by the confession of our own wretchedness, we show forth the goodness and the mercy of God among ourselves and before the whole world. In our confession, we show off how great God is. It's not a depressing awful gut-wrenching embarrassing event. It is a celebration of the forgiveness that we receive. It's all in how you look at it. And then that enough said that's that's the table. When we go to the table, we approach the table and and one of our thoughts that should run through our mind is, that was amazing. You had a plan all along and just like when Joseph was thrown into the pit and sold off and thought for dead, what, what the enemy intended for harm, you intended for good. How in the world did you pull this off, Jesus? Amazing. That's the table. And yeah, you bring your suitcase full of your junk, but that's not the priority. The priority is what you get at the table. And what you get is a new start. What you get is love. What you get is the arms open wide. What you get is a dad who's so giddy that you've come home. And then when you confess to, to, to him and to another, there's a celebration that happens because all it does is highlight, like the 85 Bears won the Super Bowl, I highlight that event that happened a long time ago. That's the Super Bowl, man. We, we highlight that. It happened 2,000 years ago, but every time we go to that table, man, we celebrate it. We highlight it because it is the best news that the world has ever known and the world will ever know. And so we create spaces and develop a rhythm in our spiritual discipline so that we can make room for the divine. And friends, the divine is right here in this simple little room on McCaslin. The divine is here. And I want to implore you, encourage you, challenge you. Find someone who you can trust. And sometimes trust is given, sometimes it's earned. Friends, when you begin to give your sins to another person, you are going to have to give that trust. They may not have earned it yet. But I want to encourage you, find someone you can give your sin to. Confess that sin. Do you need them to say, you are forgiven, my child? No. You are forgiven, in Christ alone. But find someone who you can confess your sin to and get an, a, rather, a regular rhythm for that. You know who this is most difficult for? Men. And I know we're going a few minutes late. Sorry, just keep finger-picking. It's beautiful. Men, the most courageous thing you can do is get with other men and begin to expose your heart and mind. The most cowardice thing you can do is to stay inward. Does that mean that there's a risk of being burned? Yep. Does that mean there's a risk of of being failed? Yes, 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 yes. All of that. But you know what you're also risking? Finding authentic community. And it's no different than when you start dating. You have to risk having your heart stepped on. But you risk it because you might find love. Men, look inward. Get past the surface. Examine your heart. Examine your minds. We meet every Friday at Panera. Here in Superior. You okay? Did that hurt you? That scared you, huh? I'm sorry, mama. I thought. See? I don't know what see means, but see? Maybe that's God's way of going wrap it up. Even I'm tired of listening to you. All right, so we're going to go to this table. Please let it not be routine. Please let it not just be something we do. Approach this table with maybe a whole different outlook this morning. God's crazy about you. Do you know that? He is nuts about you. He thinks the world, sorry, I put that in the wrong place. He thinks the world about you, even though he knows your sin. So cool. So let's pray together and then uh, if you guys can go down the sides uh, when you're ready and then back to your seat up the middle. If you want to sit, if you want to kneel, if you want to uh, just sing and pray, if you want to come up front and kneel before the stage, if you want to go stand in the back, if you want to leave, whatever you want to do, we want you to feel at home. And let's enter into this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful time of worship as we approach the Lord's table. Let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your many blessings. Please guide us as we approach this table. Help us to confess sin to you, to to find someone else that maybe needs a text message today and and says, hey, Pastor Brian said to do this, so here's my laundry list. I hope you still love me. Um, I pray that we're able to confess sin to one another and that we're able to confess sin to you. Help us to create space to do that. There's space right now. Help us to create that space and get into that rhythm so that we can continue to grow in our relationship with you. It's hard, but you enter into that with us. So thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.